0: Da, ukulele, with you.
1: cool aloha and thank you for joining us and we have a world-class legendary builder with us today one of the greats truly you know there's so many custom builders nowadays like gajillions it seems like but back in the 70s and back in the day there was a few you know and this was one of them. So, uh, Steve, thank you for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure to be here. And, um, and I can actually say I, I remember that day you're talking about that era, that sev- the 70s. Yeah.
1: Well, take us back there.
2: Well, you know, I I, um, I thought I wanted to be a violin maker. And um, I was playing violin. I was playing fiddle in a bluegrass band.
1: Where were you, like in Washington
2: or somewhere? Well, this time I was... Well, Yeah, I was playing fiddle and mandolin in Baltimore. I grew up in Baltimore. Oh, wow. I didn't
1: know But then
2: I thought, you know, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to jump into this hippie thing that's going on in San Francisco. (laughs) So I moved to Haight-Ashbury. Why not? (laughs) I moved to Haight-Ashbury in 69. That's where all the fun is. After I got out of the Navy. Um, And um, by that time, Haight-Ashbury was kind of ugly. You Mm. know, all the flower power and peace and love had kind of left. And this is a bunch of druggies. And had kind strung out, strung out. Yeah. So, um, but I, um, um, I wanted to be a builder. I was a player, and I was I was working as a draftsman for Boeing. I went through school in engineering, and wow. I got a job uh, as an engineer's draftsman at Boeing, and I uh, thought saw myself working my way up as an engineer. Um, You could have made so much money, Steve. (laughs) What's that? You could have made so much money. I know. That's what my mom said. (laughs) (laughs) My mom said. So um, in 72, a guy came to me, and he knew I I, I made things with wood. I was making uh, what I consider today to be some of the ugliest furniture in the world. (laughs) But uh, I I love to work with wood. And he said, can you fix my guitar? You're a guitar player. Surely you can fix them. And I said, really, you think so? And uh, he said, well, I called Goya Factory, and they they won't take it back. They won't fix it. So I just launched into it, and I figured out I've got to how, it's not rocket science, how, how can I do this? And I got a book out on guitar repair, and I fixed his guitar, and then that kind of put something in my brain like, maybe I don't want to be an engineer at Boeing because I loved it. I loved it to this day I have a little sign on the wall of my shop that says the greatest accomplishment is to blur the line between work and play yeah, which, I, which I set out to do But so in 73 I think I, I made a mandolin because uh, uh, I had a Martin a Martin flat top mandolin that had the back off and I had to re-glue the back on this mandolin and so I looked inside, there's not much in there. So I thought, I can do this. So I made a mandolin along the lines of a Martin flat-top mandolin. And that was... Uh, like an A-style? Like A-style? A A-style. Yeah. And the Martin uh, mandolins have a kind of a, a little bevel right where the bridge is mm. that, that almost takes the place of a brace because the bevel um, breaks up the flat plane and, and it gives it some rigidity. So I I made mine just like that Martin mandolin, but when I finished it and I put strings on it, I put a lacquer finish on it, and I just went, "Oh my God, this is the 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 most fun I've ever had, you know, with doing something with my hands." And so um, I started out, and I was going to name them like hurricanes. So the first one was Amanda. (laughs) So, and I called it Amanda Lynn.
1: Oh, mandolin!
2: So I thought, okay, I'm gonna, the next one's gonna be. And Bertha. you were playing
1: in bluegrass bands and stuff, right? So what's that? Were you, you were yes. playing in bluegrass bands?
2: I just want, I had a bluegrass band. We were called okay. Loose Caboose. Cool. Loose Caboose. There you go. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were, <laughs> mm-hmm. we were loose, <laughs> but uh, uh, I just I, I was so blown away by this this uh, mandolin. So I made another one, and I made another one, and then I quit my job at Boeing thinking I can make a living at this and that was 74 when I quit Boeing and um, I remember talking to my mom and she said uh, you quit your job at Boeing (laughs) that's what you went to school for and I said well I know but I found something I, I love to do way more and she goes what's that I said I'm gonna I'm making mandolins and she says you're gonna throw your education away you're going to just throw your education away. And I said, no, there's actually there's quite a bit of engineering in building musical instruments. She said, well, what are you going to do? You're going to build build these things. You're going to make these things. What, are you going to s- stand on the corner and sell medallions? I said, mandolins, Mom, not medallions. Oh, whatever. <laughs> she says, whatever. And I said, well, I hope I'm not selling them on the corner, street corner. <laughs> but fast forward 20 years from that point where I was actually flying back from Hawaii to Baltimore to see her three or four times a year and she realized I wasn't poor and I was doing all right and I was happy. So she she finally accepted the fact that I was a luthier. Oh.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like every parent worries for their children, but like what they really want is for them to be happy, you know. It's just yeah. everybody's gotta survive in this world, you know. You just right. happen to be really talented and you know have that passion and continue to grow because even with your arch tops like there was a whole evolution to you know how you were shaping them and um right
2: there was and I played a lot of arch tops in the early days uh I wanted I, I was making art by that time I was making arch top mandolins I started with the flat top but by by the second well by the third or fourth mandolin I realized that archtop was the way to go because mm. you played a Gibson archtop mandolin and it didn't sound like Martin
0: yeah
2: as a matter of fact it sounded much better yeah. it, it had that sound you know and I'm, what is it that makes that sound it's got to be the arch top so I studied with this violin maker in Seattle and I thought well I'll make viol- violins for a while and that's not what you do a violin is a is a vocation that you spend a lifetime trying to perfect and every one of them has to be the same shape and it has to be German spruce and it has to be German maple. It's very regimented and I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. So when I started to use violin construction in making an archtop mandolin, I thought, you can make you can do it two points, you can make them different shapes, you can do whatever you want. And I, that appealed to me more, so I forgot about learning to become a violin maker and, and uh, started making mandolins. But yeah, you, asked, you I'm sorry, if, you asked about archtops.
1: Well, no, but, you know, if you guys go to Steve's website, look at some of the mandolins and just... Yeah, I love your take. You know, you've gotten quite creative on uh, doing kind of your twist on the classics.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, not to mention his archtop guitars. I mean, he's... In my personal opinion, the best archtop maker in the world, and I've played a lot of archtop guitars. Yeah, Aaron's and not
1: alone in that. Yeah. But so
3: he he basically there's well two two builders I really really appreciate as far as archtop guitars go, and it, it's always like Steve Grimes has always been like tops for me, and living on Maui, that kind of like. Made me
0: like, yeah, yeah, local yeah, yeah, boy yeah. kind of, you know? <laughs> like but.
1: the Hawaii builder. We might be a little bit biased. I mean, there <laughs> was, was Monteleon. There was Rebecca. I mean, you were, but you were with these guys at that time. Well, there he plays was Benedetto. And
3: Steve Anderson. So Anderson's well, no, no. another
2: great builder, too. Not so. Steve. Steve's not oh. a player. Steve Anderson's oh. not a player. Who uh, do you he play? might you, play at home. You play he playing with
3: somebody in a Rebecca. Band.
2: Rebecca. Yeah, Tom. yeah. Rebecca yeah, and Tom Rebecca. Uh, whenever possible, when, when we go to these guitar shows, Part of the draw for me is to go set up a table, show my guitars and ukuleles, Ooh. and part of it is I know Rebecca's going to be there, and I know Julius Borges is going to be there, and I know Dick Boke is going to be there, <laughs> and we all just... Um,
1: I think I saw you guys in Helzberg at one point.
2: Probably. That might have been the like night that, that Julius Borges something. got drunk and trashed the top of my guitar. Oh, oh. man. No way. Yeah, he's such an incredible guitar builder. I don't know if I know another flat top builder that I respect more than Julius but uh I shouldn't be saying it because uh, you know no, who knows so what goes ago, out. So it's, it it's, uh, he knows. I mean he, he woke he was actually rooming with uh Rebecca at this I think no, it wasn't Heelsburg, it was the Montreal Guitar Festival, two thousand eight. And we were all jamming and I guitars were being passed around. You know, I mean you gotta expect some Something a little bit of wear and tear, a okay. little bit. Yeah. But I just looked over and Julius is gone. He's playing Mona. Oh yeah. Uh, whose uh, whose song is that? The Kinks? I don't know. It's uh, that Bo Diddley beat, you know. And yeah. he's just thrashing on the on the guitar. And that's when I thought maybe I should go over and check on my guitar. And I went over and he had a flat pick. Oh no. And there was just scratches all over the top <laughs> yeah. and I said I picked it up and there was a crowd of people and I went oh <laughs> and then the whole group of people went okay. oh yeah <laughs> that's what you call a
3: double carved arch top oh so, no. no it was a the flat top. Top. it was a oh, beamer the, it was a oh, double
2: hole flat top guitar oh it was a beamer guitar oh so cool. um, he felt really terrible the next right. morning he woke up and he was uh Rooming with Rebecca, and he goes. I think I trashed Grimes' guitar last night, so he felt bad, and um I didn't want to send the guitar to him for re- for refinishing. Mm-hmm. So he traded me a very one of these guys. It might even be this mic. It's a uh, AKG, um AKG four hundred one B. They don't make them anymore, and it's like the holy grail of pencil instrument microphones and he sent it to me and i still have it i should send it to you andrew because i have <laughs> yet to use it and that was 2008 so it's been oh, 11 years
1: yeah i think i think uh that's a classic mic that's
2: 951b i'm not sure i would love what to try it yeah so anyway
3: man that's great though see like you come from an era where you rub shoulders and you know all these builders and it's like you're, you're in a band with with Tom Rebekki you I, it's, I mean it's, it's beyond he,
1: knowing them he, yeah. was, he was he was part of this yeah, he's group one of the guys. it's yeah. like yeah. back then there was only these guys you know there was Gary yeah. and there I,
2: was I where this conversation started you were talking about back in the 70s we did there was no internet mm. so we did um uh some research and we found out that to, to the best of our knowledge there was Dequisto, Benedetto, Monteleon. Oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, besides Rebecca and myself. Yeah, they there was are. one other guy that we could find, and he was in Santa Cruz. They were the only archtop builders in the country. Oh, wow. So we could come up with six, and we were asking everybody, who do you know? And archtop builders communicate with other archtop builders. and Was we, Benedetto
1: you know? in there, too, at that time? Who's that? Benedetto.
2: Yeah, I said Benedetto. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, um, Benedetto... And that was... Uh, he had a lot of students. I was always
1: impressed by Montelion, you know, and your stuff. But Monta, you too. John's
2: stuff is impeccable. Just and, and perfect. What a, he is a builder and an artist. Because his arch tops go beyond um, the craft. And they get into this realm of... It's just... You look at it and go... Yeah, it's, it's like 50 art. grand.
1: But, I mean, you know, if you got it, I would I would still get it.
2: He... I was at a shop... Um, after the Newport Guitar Festival, that was 06. That so was quite a while ago. No, since, it was sooner than that. Anyway, um, I was back and I was visiting him, and, and he was building his series, The Seasons, The Four Seasons.
3: Oh, yeah, those are beautiful, man.
2: Four guitars that represented each of the four uh, seasons. seasons. Yeah. And uh, so he had only finished two of them, but he showed me Summer. And uh it was an eighteen inch arch top and he builds heavy. They're heavy arch tops, but they're really well made and they sound great. But I just got to see the shop and see his, you know, molds that were handed down to him from Jimmy De Cristo, nice. Yeah. Were which were handed down to him from John D'Angelico, et cetera. And it was, it was just a real like tradition I was like, traditional at
1: that point, you know. Before the internet you had to be in the circle of you had. it was almost something, yeah. you know, you were they didn't allow everybody to know everything back in that day. Yeah, it was you know?
0: like,
3: right. there was, you had to learn in like stages. There was like six yeah. degrees of separation in the whole world or something. And you had you to know?
1: apprentice for yeah. so, sometimes a long time before you could get in there back in the day. But how yeah. did you, I mean, you just went from mandolins to, and I mean, because it's, it's like carving a top and a back is a, on a different level from making a flat top, you know. I
2: got to be friends with Jimmy DeQuisto. Back in oh, wow. uh, really early in the '70s, there and uh, he yeah. came up to me at the Winfield, Kansas show, and I had an archtop guitar there, but that archtop was there was no books on it. There was it was just uh, I thought, okay, um, I'm going to take violin construction like pretend this is a cello without a soundpost. Um, what bracing would I have to to do to support this top? Hell, I was shooting in the dark. I didn't have another arch-top guitar that I could dissect or measure. So I had my, it might have been my first arch-top guitar. No, it was my second. Um, my second arch-top guitar, the first one was an oval hole, the second one was an F-hole arch-top, and he came up to me and he goes, it's pretty nice. Um, he goes, what are you getting for something like this? And I lied. I, I, would, I would have been happy to get like $1,000 for it in 1977. And I said, because um, I knew he charged a lot of money, and I said, uh, twenty-five hundred. He goes, why are you charging so little? Mm. <laughs> and I said, well, coming from you, maestro. Uh, no, he goes, no, you're there. Um, I said, well, could I, could I measure some of your guitars? He goes, yeah, by all means. So I got to measure many of the Cristos. And then I built a guitar for a guy named Scott Chinnery, who was a big time collector on the East Coast and had a thousand acoustics and more than that uh, in electrics. He had the first or second Martin ever made from oh, wow. 1833. But he had a room full of archtops. And so I took all my measuring tools and I spent two days and just measuring uh, what's this one made out of? Uh, here's a Stromberg from 19. 19- you know, 35, how's it made, and I just took notes and notes and notes and notes. And So then after that, after my, I think that was probably my 10th or 11th arch top, I had all these notes of other builders and my own notes. What did it sound like? And so that helped me a lot.
3: That must be interesting as a luthier to go through the R&D phase of building something, you know? So just coming out and taking, like, a bunch of ideas that you got from different builders and you start building it, but now you're working on this one. <laughs> and you've got, like, 1,500 ideas. Yeah. And it's like, it must be very hard to, like, sit down and focus and, and really tap into what you're trying to do.
2: Well, you know what you like. I mean, I think helps being a player. Mm. And I knew what I liked, you know, and I would just go around the NAMM show and I'd go to other builders and I would just... Bill Collings used to come over. He's not an archtop guitar here, but Bill Collings used to... Come over before the NAM show was even open to the public uh, the Thursday before the Friday. He would just come up and go, Hey Grimes, what's going on? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and he'd stick he his that finger. Everybody. He'd yeah, stick yeah. his finger in the F hole. That yeah. sounds terrible. But he would he would <laughs> he'd stick his finger there go and I'd go, get your finger out of my F hole. And he'd go, No, I'm just you know, I'm just checking it out. I'd go, What do you think? And he'd say, Hundred and forty and I said, I, I, I and I've always thought in millimeters when it comes to Arch top side. So what is that in millimeters? What He's
1: is, such a genius.
2: 4.6 millimeters. So I t- checked it. He was feeling, he said 140 thousandths. So I knew it, it was in millimeters, and I checked, and it was 140 thousandths.
3: Holy crap.
2: So he had digital calipers for fingers. He could <laughs> just go, oh. Yeah, that neck. So I learned. I learned a lot from Bill in the early days because he he was another master, just shaping a neck. You know, a lot of people
1: haven't experienced it, but Steve Grimes' neck has got to be the most comfortable neck I've ever felt personally, and it's a personal thing sometimes for people, but it's just yeah, it right for me. It's it's slender shaped with just kind of a, a touch of a soft V or something in there. It's it's. It's, it's not too not too thin, but it's, you know, not a beefy neck.
2: I can I can actually tell you what it is and I, I encourage other builders to try it. It may not be your thing, but try it if you haven't tried it. And it's um it's how the top edge of the neck starts from the top edge of the fingerboard. Yeah. A lot of builders, the fingerboard itself, they'll come straight down to the bottom edge of the fingerboard and then they start to curve under.
1: Exactly. I mean, I've I've done that that too.
2: When that curve starts at the top edge of the fingerboard and it's that C shape, and so the most important place to have the right shape is not in the center. It's right here, Mm -hmm. the shoulders of the side, the profile right in here. If you cut away a little bit, It feels slender, and then you might, like you said, this feels slender, but I'll bet if you measure it at the first fret, thickness-wise, dead center, it's the same as many of these other ones. Mm -hmm. But it has a lower profile because of the cut-in from the top edge of the fingerboard, which gives it that feel like it's just like fits the palm of your hand. It doesn't feel like you're squeezing a box.
3: I've always felt that with with necks, that it's more the shape. Of it than the size of it that makes it comfortable you know like there, mm-hmm. there's some people that say they like fat necks some people say they like yeah. wide or slim or whatever you know but like when you actually have like <laughs> <That was laughs> when you actually that. have like a neck that you hold in your hand and if, if like you said the sides are the most important part when you hold it that way, it just kind of conforms to it, like melts it can, in your hand.
2: It does. If you look at yeah. this, it's you know, and that just it cradles the neck, and when the neck is the same shape, it just feels yeah. like it grew into the palm of your hand. <clears throat>
3: well, you um, remember that that thing at the Bishop Museum? I didn't want to put your ukes down. I mean, mm. I probably, I I think it almost got yeah. noticeable. People were saying like, hey, "He's been playing the grimes for a long time." was like... It, you know. Well,
2: here's I, I you know I don't I don't like to drop names, but I, I'm I'm actually excited to be I'm building a couple of guitars for Paul Simon, Wow. and he did a wow. he did a concert last month on Maui where we're in October. He did it in um, August, and he did back to back nights. And um, he had been up to my shop a couple times, and and um, we I re- repaired one of his guitars, and then he played some of mine, and he ordered one. And then he emailed me later, and he goes, "I think we're talking about two guitars, so it's still up in the air." I'm going to build a couple. That's of awesome! Them. Oh, cool. yeah, and and he, I love Paul Simon. Oh, me too. One and of the I, past, and so sure. he came up to pick up the repair a couple of days later. The first day was in my shop. He spent four hours sitting around, drinking beer, and talking about <sighs> politics and social things and mm. the Fibonacci sequence and you know science and. Su- teachers and things like that my wife is a teacher and she came into the shop and his mom paul's mom was a teacher and so uh when he left i emailed him and when i heard he was coming to maui to do a show i just i bought tickets right away i didn't want to ask him for tickets i bought tickets and i wrote to him and i said i'm so excited i got tickets and we're on we're in like the sixth row and he said great come to soundcheck and he says bring your caliper because I want you to measure some of my favorite necks and I went perfect so I did I went the first night well I had tickets for for the first night so I went for sound check four in the afternoon and um so we had I don't know he must have had 10 guitars in this one big case and so I thought he's going to show me his favorite out of the, in this batch and he says this is one I just love this is a This is a Collings, and it was a Collings 335 style guitar. So I measured the scale, 24 and 3 quarters, measured the nut, 1.72, measured this, measured that, and I'm writing all this stuff down. he goes, and I just love this neck. (laughs) He showed me another neck. And I said, oh, okay. And I thought, oh, he loves it. It's gotta be the same. (laughs) No, it was 25 and a half inch scale, and it was one and 3 quarters, and it was thicker, And I I checked six guitars, took notes, extensive notes, and not one neck was the same. I said, Paul, you're going to have to tell me what size neck you want. I want to make it so you take it out of the case, it feels like your favorite guitar you've been playing for years. And he said, I like them all. (laughs) I like all these different sizes and shapes and everything. He says, just make me a great guitar. I've never had, I mean, I'm approaching 1,000. Guitars. I know.
1: Congratulations. Oh, oh yeah.
2: <laughs> Not guitars. A thousand instruments. Instruments, right? Mandolins, Amazing. ukuleles, guitars, few basses. But um, I never had anybody say. Um, I never saw just,
1: basses. I I would love to have a bass from he's, you. He's a bass
2: player. <laughs> oh, a, bass? a very good bass player. Oh, that's a that, different story. So. But I bet you. you know, then you know bass. Ned Steinberger. Yeah. Ned and I were partners in this project for. Five years from 88 to 92, four years. And uh, he designed this guitar, a guitar first, as it was a guitar that was this, called the Stress-Free Guitar. And I met him at um, an Asia symposium. Um, Asia stands for Association of String Instrument Artisans in Easton, Pennsylvania, and he came up to me and he liked my instruments and he told me about his project and he said, would you consider, he goes, I'm a designer. I don't build. Um, I said, wait a minute, you're Steinberger. You make hundreds of guitars a week. He goes, that's my factory, but uh, I'm not, a, I designed the, the guitar and I have people build it for me, my my employees. He says, but I. this is an acoustic guitar and you're a great acoustic builder. Could you please build I just took a photo of the ceiling. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Technology. So I got into a partnership with him, and his idea for this guitar was um, a a flat-top instrument, ukulele guitar, that has the strings that are attached to a bridge. When you tighten up the strings, they pull up and forward on the top. And an arch-top guitar has a tailpiece and the strings go over the tailpiece and then there's a break angle and they go down I and mean, they go over the bridge and then they go down to the tailpiece. So when you tighten up the strings, they're Pushing. pushed down, push yeah. down on the top. His guitar had the strings, if you look at it from flat, the strings there's a tailpiece, but there's no break angle. The strings go through a thick saddle, a wide saddle. And this, the hole, it's a hole. They don't go over it, they go through these holes in the saddle, Ooh. and the holes are angled slightly. So, when you tighten up the strings, the, it hits at the front edge of the hole and it hits at the back edge of the hole. But when you look at it from the side, the strings are all level. Mm. So, they're not pulling up on the top, and there's no brake angle down. So, there's so you no can
1: brace it really lightly.
2: You could you, you brace it extremely lightly. There's no push down or pull up on the top. So that was his idea. He goes, but I don't know how to build it. I mean, could you experiment with building it? And he would send me these saddles with the holes in them. And so the first one I made and strung it up had no braces at all. And it didn't, it didn't deflect the top. It didn't push it down or up. <laughs> and the thing just had this... Quite an awful sound. It just had no discipline at all. It was all floppy. Yeah. And I said, Ned, I think we definitely, even though we don't need braces for strength, we mm-hmm. need braces for tone. So we uh, made a guitar and we put a, a polyester finish on the outside and we uh, hot melt glue. We glued braces to the top on the outside of the instrument and we'd listen to it and we'd mic it and record it. And then we would heat them, pop them off, and move them to other locations or make them smaller. We just did all these experiments with the same instrument. So you could just remove the braces, glue them on somewhere else, and then take them off and move them somewhere else. And when we found something we liked, then we glued braces similar on the inside of the next instrument. And um, we made an instrument that sounded so loud um, that it almost would hurt your ears. Wow. And, um, so Was
1: that under the Steinberger name?
2: Well, we called it Grimeberger. Grimeburger. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know why.
1: Maybe I did. Stein
2: had Steingrimer was one uh, variation, and Grimeberger was another. But um, we actually, when we sold it to Gibson, it, was, it said Grime and it said Steinberger Grimes.
1: Oh, you sold it to Gibson. We How well, cool. Gibson
2: liked it, and they tested it, and they ran it against the. They raced it against the. The J200 and a Martin D18. And they found it to be louder than either one of those instruments. But um, there was like a 12 page critique of this instrument as compared to the best flat top Gibson and the best flat top Martin. Martin. And uh, so we really thought we were on something. And Gibson wanted that, wanted the patent, that we had a patent on it. So Gibson bought the patent for it in 1992. 1992. So we sold the patent to Gibson. We made some money. And then Gibson had three years to bring it to market. And good old Henry Juskiewicz, the president of Gibson, was buying everything. You know, Mm -hmm. he just wanted this. And he was, you know, he would probably sue me today because the top of the peghead looked too much like Gibson. You know, he...
1: Yeah, there was a lot of that.
2: Yeah. So... um, uh, they managed to they ruin a lot patent. of
1: stuff. I mean, Gibson's done awesome stuff for years, but there's been periods where it's kind of questionable.
2: A long period. I, era. I When I had my first shop on Maui, this old guy, even older than me uh, at that time, walked into my shop, and uh, he was just this old curmudgeon guy. What are you making here? <laughs> I said, I make archtop guitars. Art Shop Guitars, let me see one. So I showed him one. He didn't play it. He just held it. He looked at it. And uh, he said, "Uh, it's pretty nice. he goes, "Uh, how much charge for something like that? And I said, "Um, $3,000. That's a lot of money. And I said, "Um, excuse me, but are, are, are you a player? Nah, I don't play. I just design art. I design guitars. I said, you don't play. Do you build? No, I don't build. I just design guitars. And I said, who do you design for? And he goes, well, I was president of Gibson from 1948 to 1966. <laughs> I said, are you Ted McCarty? <laughs> he says, I am. And I was like super embarrassed that, I, you know, I didn't know it when he walked in the door, but we became friends. He had a place on Maui. And so we started hanging out and going out to dinner and everything. But uh, Paul Reed Smith, you know, yeah. adored of Ted. Of course, McCarty. he named oh, his yeah. models after him. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but Ted told me uh, uh, Ted told me that day how he had designed uh, the stop tail piece, the tunomatic bridge. Yeah. He designed the Les Paul. Yep. He took him three or four tries to talk Les Paul into endorsing it. Um, But he designed uh, then Leo Fender uh, called Gibson Company Archaic. And that really bugged um, Ted. Uh, And so Ted, for the 1958 World's Fair, designed the Flying V and the Explorer guitars. And he goes, I did it just to piss off Leo Fender. Yeah, 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 because Leo (laughs) was trying to make like he was the
1: look of the future. Right, right. It was all this futuristic kind of stuff for the time, but wow, those shapes and those designs, like they're still like the foundation of electric guitars. Yeah, oh,
2: yeah. and that was in—he was doing it in '57, and he wasn't a player or a and builder. He just did it
1: to piss somebody else he off. Did, did it to piss <laughs> off <laughs> in off <laughs> a true rock <laughs> and roll way.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and what a way, man! That Flying V is like—you know—when you, know, when you think that. rock and roll, right? Like you think yeah. of the Flying V, you think of Randy Rhodes yeah. playing that—that that, exactly. what is that, the Kelly? Model.
1: have you ever had a flying v I've i feel never like owned you one. oh really i'm I've,
3: surprised i've never owned one but i've played a lot of them i borrowed mm-hmm. one for like four years but we had a technically we had
1: one. a karina wood um hamer, hamer. V. that was oh, dude that thing was amazing killer anyways how did you i guess uh well george benson was was playing your arch tops pretty early on that must have been a huge breakthrough for you.
2: Oh, it was a huge breakthrough. That basically, uh, unfortunately, that's um, you know, it doesn't make you a better builder when somebody signs on <laughs> like that, but it sure makes your business. Yeah, and, you got uh, some orders. And I think it was eighty-two or eighty-three, and uh, George called me up, and he ha- he owned a studio in Lahaina, and somebody had mentioned right. my name. They called me up, and he goes, "Why don't you come over to my studio and bring a couple of guitars?" And I, I did, and he bought both of them that day. Uh, oh, and then wow. he ordered a couple more, which were done a couple of years later. But uh, yeah, he's
1: yeah, he was a big endorser. I mean, yeah, that even like I'm, I'm just imagining like the Japan market and like there's a kind of an international love for that style and that sound.
2: Yeah, he wanted to redesign the uh, Ibanez GB model, and so. For two years, George and I worked together on the new George Benson Ibanez, and I still have full-size drawings, lots of them of variations that we did on the GB10, the GB20, and um, he wanted to incorporate some of my artistic ideas, and I really thought that it was going to go, and it was just one of those things that in the end, Ibanez said, we want to keep it just the way it is. We don't want to... And and I think the sales maybe were going down of the George Benson models. Archtops in general, as you know, uh, they their glory days, you know, at least the more modern glory days were the 90s Mm. and the early 2000s. And I talked to my Archtop friends, Steve Anderson, I talked to just the other day, and, you know, it's a third of what it used to be, the Archtop orders.
3: Is it making a comeback now, though? It seems like more and more guys are starting to get into players like Kurt Rosenwinkel, Ooh, I love him. Kurt is his
1: sound is too. great. Yeah. I, I don't even know what he plays, but
3: he plays a um what is it? west. It's it's a, something. It's a Japanese-made guitar. Yeah, it's Eastman. No, no, it's a west, Chinese. It's called West.
1: No, it's like a custom. Yeah. yeah,
2: oh, a custom guy. Huh.
3: So he's he's playing that, and then you got Peter Bernstein that plays that old Zeidler um, I mean, there's
1: guys out. I mean, there is still a, a market for it, but maybe you know. The boom is not as much, but... Yeah,
2: I, I still get orders, but not, not anything like that. My The wall, I have this um, in-process shelf of uh, instruments, and there would be, in the 90s, there would be two or three ukuleles up there and 20 guitars, and now it's...
3: 20 ukuleles? <laughs>
2: it's 20. It's Well, on that shelf, it'll only hold so much, but... <laughs> We have, I think, I have 25 ukuleles in the works. Right oh now. wow! I, I want to you know, show them.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and, um, we can showcase instruments. I think as well it's as it's being done guitars. right now. So, anytime you want to send us over ukes, we'll hmm. definitely do our best to show you the world.
2: Bring your camera and let's do a session up at my shop sometime. I
1: would love to do that.
2: It would really be yeah, fun. That would be dope.
1: That I mean, you I need a reason to go to Maui, work. but so busy right
2: now. So we're doing a lot of video now because I'm I'm working on um, number one thousand, which is a, a flat top guitar that's a different shape. It's it's a little akin to my freehand model ukulele, which is an asymmetrical design. <laughs> um, but uh, we're getting number one thousand ready for my. Um, I'm having a celebration on uh, February twenty ninth over on Maui. Um, my 1,000. It's called the one grand party. There you go. But uh, it took 40, 47 years. No, no, really 45 years to get to 1,000. So I'm doing the math and I'm thinking, okay, I'll be 115 when I get to 2,000. Ah, (laughs) Maybe. You don't know. It might get faster. Hey, we don't know what kind of breakthroughs. There you
3: go.
1: (laughs) There's no reason ourselves... Should stop multiplying or whatever happens when you go. Hey, down. the brain, the
2: hands—that's all it takes. I, the brains and the hands are good. So, well, what is it called,
3: cryogenics or something? I mean, cut them off. And yeah.
2: Wait till somebody. Hey, can. I had to get my thumb rebuilt, and, and this one's going to need it in a couple of years. But this one's good for another. I'm 20 waiting for years.
1: stem cell like therapy to be like just a regular thing. You can just this pop into Kaiser and get.
2: Yeah, in an afternoon. Literally live forever. Yeah, are, are you here no. for the new thumb? No, I'm I'm here for the the new shoulder. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs>
3: you're in that line.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you've had just gotten better and better, man. I mean, like these four that I just looked at are amazing. Um, when did you build your first ukulele? Seventy six.
2: Wow. Uh it was a soprano. Oh wow. And actually, for the same year, like one of the
1: mm-hmm. first custom ukulele makers ever.
2: Um, I was in Port Townsend, Washington, and I, I had some koa. As a matter of fact, one of my my it might have been that my first archtop mandolin was carved koa back. Oh wow! And not maple. I had ko- I don't know where I got it. I might have gotten it from the lumber yard down on East Lake Avenue in, mm. in Seattle. But uh, um, yeah, I, was, I built sopranos. Uh, I built a baritone. In that first year that I was making, so it was a couple of tenors, a soprano, and a baritone. Wow! And then there was a there was a decade where I don't think I made one ukulele, because there I was Busy. up to here with archtops and and the archtops. The prices of archtops. Well, also, was I mean, c- we know crazy. you from the.
1: Oh yeah, totally. What were you getting for your? Art? I mean, what do your archtops go for?
2: Well, you know, I don't have an Italian last name, so I couldn't charge ah, as much as. That, <laughs> that tax on 10 grand. <laughs> Rebecca and I have this joke about <clears throat> you got to be Italian to charge what the instruments uh, are yeah. worth. Um, but um, so I changed my name to Dia Grimzo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Rebecchini. Oh, I think Rebecca <laughs> changed, we, we, we Italianized our last names yeah. so we could double the price of our archtops. But, um, no, there's Monteleone, there's Buscarino, there's Campolone, there's uh, uh, Benedetto. That's interesting, huh, that it came, yeah.
1: came from that
2: Yeah, group. and I think that it, it basically was started, that whole trend was started, you could say it was started by Stradivarius because mm. he, you know, the ultimate Italian luthier probably. But um, um, the uh, D'Angelico, John D'Angelico. Yeah. Uh, and then his his apprentice was Jimmy De and then right on down the line. And so uh, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of Italians. I think that it kind of attracts them because they know that it's kind of in the blood. Maybe it's Good. in the the DNA
3: to carve a top, I guess, right? Yeah. Carve a top in the back. Well, you know what? The the probably the prettiest arch top I've ever seen. I didn't get to see it in person, but I saw it on your website. Was did you see the one that he made with the Hawaiian hook? As the sound, I
1: did.
2: Oh, the fisher! That was the that, asy- was, that was the first asymmetrical archtop.
3: That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it <laughs> was, uh, holy crap, maybe right? Yeah,
2: it's
0: like a, a it piece of art. State, yeah, like,
2: the guy is coming to the guy I made it for is coming to the one thousand party, <clears throat> and the guy that I made my first archtop guitar for—not my first instrument, but the first archtop guitar. He still has it and he's bringing it and he's a great session player in LA oh killer so he's coming and he's gonna play and oh, he's gonna play numero uno
1: you're just teasing us already where is this yeah, we gotta go to
2: and- <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's, it's a
1: private event <laughs>
2: well it is private I mean I'm inviting people but right, it's on right, my right, website right. I mean yeah, it's yeah. you know it, it so says on my website just bug web-
1: Steven you might be able to come I'm saying I'm I inviting see the blue guitar uh, I would yeah. love to get that one day I don't
2: know day. whatever happened you know, Scott Chinnery passed away, yeah, and his wife, I think, sold off some of his record of his uh, record collection. His, uh, his guitar collection, he had over a thousand archtops, I mean, a thousand wow. acoustics, Holy crap. some of those were arch tops, right, right and right. then well over like 1500, electrics. And he wouldn't buy a guitar unless he thought it it had some historical significance. and so I met him at Willie Nelson's house on Maui.
1: That's right. And Willie Nelson got a guitar from you, too. He did.
2: He did. And then um, Scott was at Willie's house and called me up. He says, bring some instruments down. So I, I did, and he ordered a guitar. And uh, when I finished it, I called him up, and I said, do you want it sent? Uh, what, what's the address, and how do you want it sent? And he goes, I want it brought. Wow. Uh, he lived in um, Toms River, New Jersey, and he, he sent me a plane ticket <laughs> and another plane ticket. for for the seat next to me for the guitar and then when I got there the guy you know he had this house it must have been a ten million dollar house and he had a huge car collection he collected cars and guitars he had the original Batmobile which he gave me a ride in the original Batmobile around Tom's River New Jersey it was it was amazing but uh, he that was the first of four guitars that he that he ordered from me, but wow, um, I started to say something. Here, but, um, I can get off topic faster than anybody, uh, so, yeah, so you got to keep an eye on um, I We're going to
1: have um, Aaron give us some samples, but why don't you talk about the okay. different styles that you got here yeah. a little
2: bit. Let me know when the tape is rolling.
3: Rolling. It's always rolling.
2: <laughs> always rolling. <laughs> always rolling. So I brought uh, an assortment. We have a lot of koa, I guess, koa. Everybody visiting Hawaii, anybody wants an all-koa ukulele. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of other woods than koa that make a, a beautiful-sounding instrument. Wow, look at this that. This particular one is uh, a Sitka spruce top. And I, I really do love the sound of a spruce top or a softwood top, redwood, cedar, spruce um, so, this is a Sidka spruce top uh, tenor ukulele with zircote. Um, zircote <laughs> yeah sides and back. Zircote is a very dense wood uh, that's indigenous to Central America. Uh, I've heard it called uh, Mexican ebony, although I think much of it or most of it grows south of Mexico. But it's just That's stunningly a gorgeous, gorgeous. Cut. Man, that yeah. is. and it's uh, sometimes you find it with the, the blonde sapwood, and you can use that mm. in the center or out on the edges. And it just has this ribbon, ribbon network that yeah. that is uh, the spider webbing. Spider webbing. Yeah. And it's called a lot of different things, but uh, Brazilian rosewood does it. Yeah. But I don't know of another Not wood like that does that, it. Though. Yeah. yeah not like that no other wood does it better yeah I think zercote is first and maybe
3: cocobolo next then the Brazilian
2: yeah.
1: sometimes so. but yeah cuts of Zercote Zir- like that are amazing Yeah, amazing looking
2: so it's a, and it's very dense and very hard and, and resonant there are hardwoods that don't have much in the way of uh, tone. tone musicality and uh, you can tell right away if, it, if it's a, not an archtop piece, but if it's a smaller piece that you can actually hold between two fingers and just tap it, you can hear the musicality that's inherent in, in a piece of wood. Um, and, and it has to do with not necessarily a note, but uh, the resonance of that note and how long it lasts and what other notes are accompanying it. If it's, if it's got um, a distorted kind of a sound to it or if it's a pure musical note Um, and so uh, it's hard to top Brazilian Rosewood for that musicality you can just pick up a little bridge blank which is uh, um, one inch or an inch and a half by six inches by half an inch thick and just hold it you know at the top edge or one fourth of the way down and tap it when you uh, listen for a tap tone you're basically finding the node and as a musician you know, the harmonics are the nodes. So you got a node at the 5th fret, the 7th fret, 12th fret, etc. So if you hold any piece of wood by, if the end of the piece of wood, one end of the piece of wood was the nut and the other end of the piece of wood was the bridge, you're going to hold it at the 12th fret, the 5th fret, the 7th fret, or approximately where you would hold So we would hold the piece of wood there and then tap it and then you, you just get this sense of musicality.
3: I didn't know that. I'm, that's cool, man. I'm gonna have to try that
2: now. <laughs> yeah, those are the nodes. You want to hold yeah. it at the node because it's the, it's this point of least vibration. It's where the waves, the the you know, are. It's
3: like the top a next trough. to the I mean, fretboard, right? A guitar. Yeah.
2: If you hold it at the at a place of uh, maximum vibration, you're gonna kill the vibration. Yeah, you stop it. So you want to hold it where it's not vibrating, and that allows the piece to to, to vibrate. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that uh, and this is bound with this uh, reddish-colored wood. It's really beautiful for binding. It's called bloodwood. Oh wow! And, uh,
1: and that one has a, a little bit different logo. I, I like that. What's that? The logo on. Oh, that the one?
2: logo. I, I um, I do get. I started to get requests from people that would ask me, "Does it have to say Grimes on the peghead?" <laughs> I said, I, "I know." As a matter of fact, it doesn't have to say anything. My classical guitars. Don't say anything, uh, whatever your preference is. So then I thought, well, some people don't, don't, don't like a word, you know, a name blasting away on the top. of So I designed a letter G that was two leaves, uh, two uh, bamboo leaves that are, overlap a little bit and form the letter G. Yeah, it's a nice
1: logo. I mean, you know, that has a classic look, too. You just your signature yeah. you know, at the top oh. that's how it's been done and yeah you do like this is well. very
2: traditional that's yeah. a little bit more modern yeah yeah, yeah. And, so um, talk about this this is apple. all Jeez, yeah, this is sides top and back are German maple and um, this is some wood that uh, was left over uh, when I'm cutting a billet of um, German maple for the back and sides of an archtop guitar. I'll sometimes end up with a piece that can be resawn more that's big enough for this piece right here. Just, you know, one half. All you need is one half because you oh, you have your center seam. So it just has to be 5 inches by, you know, 12 and a half inches. And so this is just leftover wood from one of my archtop guitars, and it's just it's what, what you would call master grade archtop. So wooden. curly. That's and the most um, curly you can get. And so, and and there, it's um, a very light, but stiff um, maple. If you were to compare it to another maple, like sugar maple or red maple from the United States or big leaf maple from the United States, it's lighter, Ooh. and yet it's stiff. And those two things are yeah. the two main ingredients of a great sounding instrument. You need wood that's stiff and light. As soon as you add weight, if you were to clamp a clothespin on this bridge, you'd kill half the tone. As a matter of fact, violin mutes to kind of make it so that the thing is not as loud while you're practicing is just a weight that you put on the bridge kills the tone. So if you have a bridge that's too heavy, you're just robbing the instrument of of some of its tone.
1: I remember when Noah redesigned the Ko'olau bridge to be more slender and the wings to be less and just kind of paring everything down lighter and lighter Right. looking at ways to cut from the inside. Yours are very light. And like, you know, you were talking about the qualities of that type of maple because it kind of defies what maybe some people would think as far as a maple top. Like it's, it's really resonant, you know,
2: it it's, is really resonant. And I remember, uh, at the, um, show a couple of years ago, it was when the luthiers for a cause Ukuleles were unveiled. Uh, the show was at a hotel, Surf Rider. Yep, yep, I'm not sure, but you were there, Andrew. Yeah, we filmed it. It's and um, I pulled a quilted maple sunbursted ukulele out of the case, and and uh, you went, huh, a maple ukulele, and then you went, and you went, what? I know. <laughs> yes. Well, even just but, then,
3: I can like, feel the thing
2: But you can you can get um, really obviously you want. The lightest possible, maintaining the amount of strength that you need for the thing that lasts 100 years. So I want all of these instruments to be around for a long, long time. Yeah, I don't
1: ever see, like, weird movements on the top from yours. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, every instrument you have to take care of and can, you know, things can happen. But, like, right. they're well-seated.
2: So what I do when I'm building is that the back goes on last. And a lot of builders don't like to do that because they like to glue the back on and then make it really look perfect inside and then glue the top on because it's hard to get in and clean up the excess glue uh, through the sound hole but it's so important that once you glue the top to the sides the top is basically defined It's you, you cut off the excess it's, it's, it's the way it's going to be and so you can tap it and you can shape the braces on the inside until you get the optimum tap tone. And then once you voice the top and you really have it to where you know it's going to be a great sounding instrument, you glue the back on. And then you don't have to get in there. and I mean, you have to clean up with a long little paintbrush, any excess squeeze out, clean it up with a paintbrush and water, you know, just clean it up. But, the, you know, it looks fine. Oh, but you get to voice the top. That's, that's, that's different
1: than what I've seen almost everybody do. You I know? mean almost everybody glues the top on after. But you know, you are still shaping the tone bars and still
2: I'm still toning the instrument. Mm. Uh, the strings aren't on, obviously. Right, but right, right. But you, you can but tap it and you tones, can feel it. Yeah. And one of the the spots that you tap that gives you so much information is you would think it'd be right here. It's right there between halfway between the bridge and the tail block. And just tap that, and then when that has a certain ring to it that seems to be unencumbered by, or, or just dampened, you know, like dunk, dunk, and it's going more like dung, dung, mm-hmm. and it has some sustain to it. You know, you're. It's close. like when
1: people wonder why you can't get a factory to do this level. It's like. <laughs> <'Cause-> <laughs> It's, it's hanging, something you can't you know? put into production. It takes like you can't many years of understanding wood in the first place and then a real dedication like that.
2: Each piece of wood has its own voice. And some, you know, some people will look at a piece of spruce and go, "That's a great piece of spruce." And I go, "How do you know?" Because you can pick up a piece of spruce and do the cross-grain flexing test and it's just mush. And look, it's got 60 lines, 70 lines of grain lines perfectly even. And it's firewood. It's trash because it has no cross grain stiffness. So each piece of wood is different. You can't go by how it looks. You have to just feel it, see what it you know it oh, wants. Yeah. And that's it. Not a factory process. There are factory instruments that are great. Sure. And, and if I mean, they,
1: Bill did it probably better than anybody could. Bill Collings did it. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And um, um, who else makes um, the guys at uh, Breedlove? They make a really. They're boutique factory and Martin surely makes some great sounding instruments but Martin also just cranks them and so there's Martins where you go this doesn't sound like a Martin
1: oh well, but they make the every love I mean Martins anywhere they from make a every D level. to an A
2: plus yeah. right but just because you're getting a D41 or a D45 doesn't mean that somebody voiced it mm-hmm. I don't know maybe they do it just it's, I've played yeah. some and I go it's beautiful to look at and where, where's that thing that I heard in this old '57? You know, it's just
1: and partly just the right person putting their heart into it and having that deep knowledge. But it's 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 not like you can't find a factory-made guitar that really speaks like that. It's just not no. going to consistently.
2: You got to play a bunch. Yeah,
3: hey, that's yeah. the thing where you got to run the walls. You know, you got to check yeah. the racks gotta,
2: and <laughs> yeah. try them out. One of them is going to just jump yeah, out at you, you know. Exactly. So but I, I, I haven't
1: come across an instrument, a dud from you. I mean,
0: that's what I. You get.
2: I don't allow the I, I, when I when I hear it when it's done if it were to be completed and strings on it and I go, then I go after why is it that why is it sounding like that, and I I don't know if I've ever mm-hmm. completed one and sold it, and and not been satisfied. And I did have one guitar in the early 80s come back the guy didn't like it and um, when he ordered it I said do you want an acoustic arch top yes do you want it, a pickup on it yes and I said you gotta understand that when you put a humbucker pickup on a very lightweight acoustic arch top and if you sit in front of your amp it's gonna feedback." Mm-hmm. I want it to be acoustic okay so I built an acoustic put a humbucker pickup on it but that, he did his gigs and he's a good jazz player and it it feeded, fed back, and um, so he traded it in, and that was the first guitar. I hung it at the wall, on the wall of Bounty Music, and in 83, Walter Becker walked in and bought it, and that was the first of 11 guitars that I made for Walter Becker. But So one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Yep. Walter liked it because it had this big acoustic tone, and uh, he wasn't going to sit in front of an amp and crank up the amp and not expect yeah, what, what was
1: B.B. King's, like, were just painted on F-holes, right? Because, like, you, if you're cranking it, like, it's like you don't want... Do you them. mean the
2: Gibsons? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Lucille? I, I don't know.
1: I, I think yeah, they they weren't even real F-holes. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just... Because of the feedback issue. Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, when the second guitar made for Benson, he wasn't actually allowed to play any other instruments in live performance, than Ibanez, because he had the contract right, with Ibanez. Right, right. But he, he told me that he wanted to play this at one of his gigs, and I said, you you can do that? And he goes, I can do whatever I want, you know? So I said, okay, and he goes, but when I play it really loud, it feeds back. So I said, send it back to me. And so I made these plugs for the F-holes. They were yeah, yeah. F-shaped, tapered-edged plugs out of spruce, painted black, so they couldn't really see that they were plugs. Uh, From too far away, and I plugged both of the f holes, and he was able to actually be on stage and play at a high volume, and not have the feedback. But and then they just just pop pop them out, and you get a good acoustic acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah,
2: that's cool, man. So anyway, this is German uh, German maple with, um, I think it's Eastern uh, USA maple um, that's not tinted um, for the binding. This is a, a red, kind of a reddish cherry sunburst. Cherry burst, yeah. Cherry burst, classic. The neck. That's the a
3: neck great looking burst too. Uh,
2: mahogany.
1: Yeah, I I really like it, especially like following through in in the neck, you know, and everything.
2: Yeah, yeah there's. But, I thought, you know, should I tint the mahogany? And, you know, usually I don't want sunburst mahogany, but I thought it's got to have a little bit of a tie fade in to so.
1: it, Yeah, beautiful, beautiful,
2: beautiful. you Aaron, I want to hear you. Uh, a b some of these i, got, I gotta say steve
1: grimes showed up with a bunch of Oahu cases too
2: <laughs> where do you think i got <laughs> those Oh man
1: <laughs> very cool case. oh there's Ooh. the
3: asymmetrical right there this is yeah
1: this I've been is been um, to play one of those breaking the mold
2: this is a spin-off yeah. of the art the uh, asymmetrical arch top the fish hook oh. arch top was the first asymmetrical one that i'm in but uh which I called the 40th anniversary model. Yeah. That oh, one's gorgeous. Wood, anyway, so I thought, you know, let's oh make a, God. you know, um, one thing Jimmy D'Acquisto said to me just before he passed away in 98, he said um, he was doing these futuristic arch tops. And he said, uh, I said, really, you're getting away from tradition, and, you, you know, you're really getting way out there. And he goes, it's about time. He goes, and... He implied, when are you, you're not that, you know, he was almost, what well, he was a couple years older than me. Um, he says, um, experiment, you know, have some fun. So, That's great.
1: I it's took like it to the heart. opposite of like the, <laughs> you got to stick to tradition and all that, <laughs> right. you know. But and I,
2: you know, my ukuleles are pretty traditional. If you look around, there's some people doing some beautiful and outstanding ukuleles Look at Manny's ukuleles. Yeah. You gotta love them. Yep. They look good, they sound good, and they're, no, they're not traditional. Not traditional at all. <laughs> at all. But mine are more traditional, and this is my, I guess, somewhat of a break from tradition. But um, so it's it's sides uh, and back and top. God, look at that coat, too, man. This, is this, real this reminds me fine... of the luthiers
1: for a cause. You, you did this asymmetrical. I did. That was yeah. the
2: first ukulele that I made asymmetrical oh. was the luthiers for a cause.
1: What do you think the tonal differences are from what you can hear?
2: I don't know. I don't think there are. I it cannot... sounds
1: pretty much like your tenor. You know? They do.
2: And I, I think I just kind of, I, I don't know, maybe it's a groove or a rut. I've just kind of gotten into a certain sound of the way I voice and what I'm listening for. Listening for. I'm not trying to make them sound the same, but we do have our optimum thickness ratios with the top surface, back surface, so that when the bodies are together, that tap tone that you hear, it's the air resonance you're hearing, mm. the help, what they call the Helmholtz mode. So you uh, different shape ukuleles, tap it, it goes doom tum tum. Go to the next one, dum, dum, dum a whole line of tenor ukuleles, dum, dum, dum. it's the same note. Uh, and so we're, and it's
1: crazy because your sound holes are different, you've got side ports, but you yeah. work it to get the sound that you mm-hmm. are going for regardless.
2: Yeah. So this, I don't think it has a really... I think this particular one, I think it's the koa, is a little uh, tighter than, well, it's certainly tighter than the uh, spruce top. Yeah. But even the maple one, which is a big mellow kind of sounding ukulele, this one has a a, a voice, and I've gotten into discussions with other <laughs> ukulele and guitar builders about side the side port. Um, I do them when I'm requested to do them. But I wasn't on this one because I just decided let's do it because half of the people that want to buy a ukulele now want a the sound side port. Part, yeah. But uh, I got into a, a lengthy discussion with uh, Jay Lichty, and he's, he won't build an ukulele without a side port. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't build one with a side port unless I was forced to do it. <laughs> so at uh, some of the shows, we would, we would compare. And I think it was at the Surfrider. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had three or four ukuleles there, and some of them had side ports, some of them didn't. And so we did this little test. And uh, we picked up the Lichte ukulele, and we, he had a side port here. And um, we put my hand over it, and somebody strummed it, and the sound seemed to drop. The sound coming this way, not to the player. This way seemed to be less, just a little bit less. And Jay was like, see what I'm talking about? You need a side port. And I said, oh, well, check this out. And I had a ukulele with a side port. And uh, so we were just strumming as loud as I could. And then somebody plugged that up and it got louder. And Jay went, Mm -hmm, It's louder. And I said, What the? You know, we didn't know. And we still don't really know. Well, it
1: changes. I mean, like you were talking about the Heimholtz, something. The Helmholtz, yeah. Helmholtz, yeah. Because like that is, uh, it depends on the openings. Yeah, that that's a part of that whole ratio, you know. Right, so but why would it why would it sound the soundboard being
2: plugged make it less loud on one ukulele and louder on another ukulele? Right,
1: but it, it has well, it has to do with that because it's changing the fundamentals of the whole thing resonating. Yeah. So yeah, but
3: remember Ty? He he used to he Ty used to work for well his, his name is Holden now he changed his name but he used to work oh. for uh, timer Becky, and he was telling me that what they would do is they'd measure like the F holes with a piece of string and try to like, you know, get everything to a certain, that you had this much, yeah, this much um, surface space being like, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, Dissipated, I guess, by the the blankness of where the sound hole was. Mm -hmm. And so he was saying that like, if you took a, a sound hole on a regular guitar, on an arch, or a regular um, flat top guitar. If you took the sh- the string around there, you know, and then you took like the surface space of two f holes, those f holes would be probably more than that. And so, because of the way the top, but he had like all these ideas about this stuff, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh wow, that's pretty, pretty interesting. You know, it's, it's like very saying,
2: very interesting. And there are, there are people that can can talk. I mean, I went through school in engineering, and there's a there are luthiers what that was are the devoted guy in the
1: big it was David Hurd. Oh my David goodness, Hurd. he
2: could get so like <clears throat> science forever, science and I would just be all like, "Oh way.
1: dude, you're killing
0: me." <clears throat>
2: um, there's a guy named R.M. Mottola. and uh, he is a scientist, but he also is a good, excellent instrument builder. And um, I called him up one time, and I said, "I, I make guitars with two, a flat top guitar with two sound holes, and." Um, I'm just noticing some differences be- between diameters of the holes. Uh, I-, I know that you can't take a four, a standard four-inch sound hole and then just divide its area up into two sound holes yeah. and get the same, because it's the same amount of opening. you got to have more. Isn't that yeah. right? He goes, you do have to have more, and you not only have to have more, but you have to have more than more than you would think because of the increased edge drag. Mm. I went, what? And he says, because a four-inch sound hole, what's the diamond? See, so 3.14 times four, is so somewhere around 14, I mean, 13 inches, 12 and a half, that, uh, this, the circumference of that yeah. circle. But if you took the circumference of two circles, you have a lot more edge that's dragging on the air that's breathing in and out of the instrument oh. as you play. So he was, I mean, so there are scientists, and I was never, this is my science right there. I just, yeah. that's the piece of test equipment that we but all sometimes have. Sometimes
3: that's the best thing out there, because it, it's, it's, music is first and foremost the listening art, and yeah. as, an, as a luthier building um, Sometimes all the
1: want, science want, is wrong, yeah. too. You know, you yeah, end up experimenting, so. <laughs> and you just got to follow your ear.
2: Well, David and I had our differences, Kavika and uh our you know he was a
1: great builder too i he's mean a great i played builder. some great And he from was him.
2: i think was not he a, he was a scientist a mathematician mm-hmm. maybe i don't know what Oh he wrote a whole what book on
1: the science of acoustics
2: i yeah. mean Yeah <clears throat> Oh really oh yeah i didn't i didn't know he wrote a book he was very knowledgeable and then um so i used to go to the big island occasionally and i would stay at, at Kavika's house but we had our differences in what we liked to and see it was fun and to talk hear to him then. Yeah. So science can't tell you what your personal preference is for sound. It can quantify, like I was saying earlier, what's a louder instrument. That's mm-hmm. quantifiable. Yeah, the but,
1: voice is quite subjective. Yeah. Yeah. But, cool. um, yeah, the asymmetrical one. And then you brought up one other, I think. There's one some, other. Uh, yeah, that crazy some, very, uh, just, some very plain koa here. <laughs> some
2: very plain koa. Single A.
1: Oh, no.
2: This is, um, this. I just decided to go a little crazy with the abalone on this one, and it's got the, I guess you'd call it a D41 right, right, abalone right. treatment, sound holes, uh, body, fingerboard, Boy, and dude. peghead. Um, that thing is gorgeous. But it's got some real pretty uh, koa. And this is really bold flame.
3: I'll say it. Because usually
2: <laughs> koa is, uh, the flame in koa is usually... Yeah. Very, very fine. Yeah. Eighth of an inch, three sixteenths of an inch. And then this is more like the flame that you'd find in curly maple. Yeah. Western, big leaf curly maple. But I, I thought it was really pretty and I uh, saw it off a piece from the block, listened to it, and it's been in my shop. I think I told you the story. The guy had three chunks of wood that in my shop. I don't remember exactly why they were in my shop. He wanted me to make something and I think they were paddles. And I I don't know, back 20 years ago, he was a good friend of mine. I said, Sure, just tell me what you want me to make. But he never did. He moved to the Big Island. I didn't see him for many, many years. And he came back to pick up his four pieces of koa. And I said, I stored your four pieces of koa for 20 years. I think you (laughs) you ought to give me one of them. That's long (laughs) enough, right? So, wow, what a piece. (laughs) There you go. So, that one piece, what being about two and a half inches thick, a chunk like that is probably got three or maybe three more, four more ukuleles like this. Wow. Of this, of this flame. That's right. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, very beautiful little chunk. All right, let's get
1: Aaron to start with, the, why don't you get in, in the sure. position that Steve is in, and, and we'll get some sound samples. Let's start Can with I that just... spruce day That thing is a beast.
2: We did a show at the uh, Appleton. Playing partner, I got to be In, uh, in June, and boy, that guy had some good. Cause <laughs> that guy started talking some
1: stories. I don't edit. I mean, no, I'm not editing your story though. That's what it is. It's a podcast.
2: It's, it's just talking.
0: But you know, uh, Byron, you were there. You
2: Remember, know? some of the... I started talking stories, and that... I look out in the audience, and Marianne's one. <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
3: This sounds great.
2: Oh, I see. You you have all the bright lights over there. I, I'm actually glad that I didn't have the bright lights. I look better under <laughs> dim light.
3: I always tell everybody that um, the less you can see of me, the better. <laughs> That's why I was so good at selling kuleles because you look at this ugly guy and you see a beautiful uke, it looks even prettier. So <laughs> I'm I'm sure you're gonna love Joel's strings too. Joel Lessinger? Yeah, his string set is phew, I mean He can do he can do low and high and he's the only guy I've ever played the his strings are the only ones I've ever played that has a non-wound low G that sounds great wow. it sounds like I mean I I, I don't play unwound so, well, we'll low Gs. yeah yeah
0: no, no
2: windings
3: no windings and mm-hmm. it's the only set I've ever played that I like that didn't have a wound string on it I love wound sh- like a wound low G. How can I miss Steve Grimes? <laughs> so, I thought you were
0: miss you playing my instrument?
3: Wow. Well, he called. He called me up and and like, I I love coming out to do this anyway. Me and him just hang out. Like it's, it's something mean, we've been doing for I'll years. i talk to Aaron
0: for
1: hours, yeah. whether there's cameras or not. Yeah.
3: We just kind of like. But geez. if you
1: were around Steve, it'd be the same we've, thing. We're, and we're, I'm sorry for when I interrupt you guys. Out. I just get excited, <laughs> and you know it's fun.
3: this for the sound sample thing remember um, Kapili did that song Kalihua Emilia Todd wrote the ukulele part to that and then I had to teach it or not teach it I Kapili wanted me to figure it out because it's taught and so I got yeah, that for wait her. for the
1: water pipes to stop
3: <laughs> yeah. sorry about that see if I can play that thing
1: this is what happens in the ghetto when you flush the toilet.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't nothing, man. My oh, house, if you're upstairs, good. like I can't use the bathroom while my daughter's taking a shower because if I flush it, you're like... <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. That's
0: fun. So, thank you, Thanks for doing this, Steve, Oh, Thank
2: you. Bringing on We're kidding. This is great. Yeah, and oh, You know what off. we
3: didn't touch on that I meant to bring up was that... Steve, left, when when we met, you gave me two of your CDs, and I I gotta say, man, I, normally somebody will give me their CD and I listen to it. I'm like, oh yeah, pretty cool. Like I was I was listening to your CD for like two weeks, like the first one, and then the second one I
2: listened to for like another two weeks. I wonder what CDs they were. I have four, so I guess yeah. they're probably the latest two. Yeah. If I gave them to you at the Bishop Museum, yeah, they were probably the okay. Yeah. So... Man. One of them is uh, uh more uh funky rock and roll blues.
3: You know what they yeah, were, I have that they CD. It was sure. very, very catchy playing and hmm. singing and it was it was like I mean, well, can tell like you know, <laughs> you have a very deep background as hmm. far as like what you what well, you thanks, like stylistically. Yeah. It's it was great. I, I loved it.
1: So we we're gonna start with a spruce zircote tenor and um Yeah, let's take a listen.
0: <laughs> it's still going. All right, th- this
1: has uh, GHS strings on it, and I want to take this one down to Joel, and I want to hear it with some of the with strings H-face. that, yeah, Even with his new set. Because you you were saying you're open to you know different 20. things, and let's yeah. let's so that way we will take a listen. Let's do this. And one. while he's doing that, we can you know try out some other. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so.
2: Tell him don't cut them off. Just take them off, and then I can either put them back on or. Or not. If I like uh, to the other ones, I'll leave them on. I don't you, have uh, one you of think these. You're leaving with these, <laughs> yeah. dude. Trust me. You're gonna try, You're gonna
3: hear it with the other strings, and you're just gonna be like, change them all. Change them
2: all. Well, I'm, I want to have. I want to find. Um, it'd be obvious. It's obvious that to have all four strings made out of the same thing instead of two yeah. nylon and two wound with metal. But I want to. I haven't been able to find a string that had a powerful G. Right, exactly, and that That's was my biggest, my biggest thing was like, I don't think it's
3: gonna work. And you know, I, I told, um, I told, I told <laughs> Andrew when they first came out with the uh, the worths, you know, because like, everybody was, oh yeah, the low G set is great, and I was like, well, you know, I played the set, but I would put a wound string for my low G, and. I just never got that low G because it, was, it wasn't it was as loud as the other strings. Right. And when you play the chord, it would overpower the other strings. So I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't like it. And so I, I started using the um, the Fremonts and then the Tomastic Infields. And then I was like, oh, okay, these are great. This works out. So mm-hmm. I kind of left it at that. But what had happened was I came up here to do one of these podcasts and they bring me up um, Joel's string set on the you <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna be a cool set. Like, Joel is set up more ukes than anybody I know, so it's probably really? gonna, yeah, oh. Joel Joel is like the guy, so I'm like, oh, it's probably gonna be pretty decent. <laughs> I played it and I went, I need these. I need these. So, what is the name of the string set again? I have no idea, but they're pink. pink. Well, oh, which, oh, I couldn't. Uh, watermelon. I can't watermelon play colored.
2: pink string.
3: <laughs> 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 watermelon colored. <laughs> watermelon the, yeah water, well this is it's what i gotta tell myself is so a, a different material <laughs> yeah well it's um it's a fluorocarbon it's a fluorocarbon but it's um it's like a really expensive fluorocarbon like i know joe p is a lot for it but um Wow. He and he went through like all these. So he
2: things. buys the raw material and yeah. makes the sets.
3: Yeah, and so he ended up. I'm um, not sure
2: I want to know about this string because if it's not available, and I get a craving for it. Well, you know what? He's tonight. He's, <laughs> he's marketing it,
3: so it's gonna. We're, we're like Andrew's gonna actually be selling it on here. So, wow. so yeah, there's gonna be tons of it.
2: Oh, this is maple. What the hell, man? Oh, <laughs> Maple—it's one of the reasons why it became popular for archtop guitars. Although they don't have a, a maple top, that one's got a maple top. Yeah. But maple is a very pure note. It does—it's not very good at the overtones, uh, which is why it's good for violin, right? And why it's good for archtop guitar. Um, you want a fundamental note, you want a pure note. You don't want that complex sound. Like you, the complex sound like when you put on a brand new set of steel strings on a guitar as opposed to a set that's been on there a year. Yeah. Uh they they say that's dead while the jazz guys like the dead yes. sound. That's right. And then the, uh other players like the bright sound.
3: There's a video of um she's what is his name? I can't um he was a, um, a he's a bluegrass player, but he was he was known for mandolin. But he was like Chris Thile, not Chris Thile. He's a he was a guitar player first, and then he kind of went over to mandolin. And he oh. and he was he got like his his hands or something like were giving him problems, so he had to stop playing
2: guitar. Um, um, I can't think of who that anyway, is.
3: Anyway, I can't I can't remember. I'll figure it out soon as the podcast's over. I guarantee. Yeah, but um. <clears throat> I, man, I'm the worst host. I do not even have there? a
1: beer to offer you guys, but I don't know. <laughs> water. <The> water is good. <laughs> All right.
2: Cool,
3: cool. You know what? I should have brought it too. I was thinking about it. I have I water was,
2: downstairs too, you guys.
0: Um. It,
3: I keep threatening to bring a, a bottle of whiskey over here and me and this guy, me and oh, this guy man. could kill a bottle in like 10. we'd be
2: here till 2 in the morning. Yeah.
1: I, I, I can do some whiskey. I could. I seem to just like get more brilliant, or it's, I think I get more brilliant.
3: <laughs> until they see us and know you think until, yeah, until yeah, he's yeah. editing it. There's a little bit of illusion going on. It. <laughs> he edits it and he's like, oh, yeah. Did we say that?
1: Oh, yeah. When I, when I drink a lot and we do a podcast, I'm like, wow, I that's not a good choice. Dude.
2: So, you like the maple.
1: I know, listen to that.
3: Doesn't sound like maple.
1: That is one of the sweetest sounds.
3: Sounds fantastic, you know. You, you, I want to hear this with the strings. Out there.
1: <laughs> well, we could try a different set. So on on the spruce zerkote, he's gonna use a smooth wound low G and a flat wound C. So it's t- both wound, wound but not oh. you know different. So you can check those out oh. along with his. Oh, I
2: thought it was gonna carbons. be all plain nylon.
1: No, 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 no. It, this is going to be more in line with what you like as a oh, set, but a variation oh. of that. Oh, you're not
3: putting the, the all-plane on it? For?
1: Well, no, 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 no. Oh. But, um, you know, I mean, we can try that on one, too. And, and it's it's a great um, all-plane low-G set, too. But maybe we can try that on this one. Why don't you give us a sound sample without me jumping and talking?
3: Okay, let's see. Try to play that same thing. It's something <clears throat> I remember because I had to learn how to play it as a piece. So... <laughs> Thank you. the same volume down Mm -hmm. here is it's crazy it doesn't get quieter a lot further up you go huh
1: very balanced
3: if you were to blindfold me there's no way i would guess that that's maple. (laughs) would you
2: guess that it would be mahogany
3: I would think, yeah. It would
2: be, I, I think almost would
1: think it was yeah. a softwood top, you know, because it's not yeah. like harsh in the mids. It's really sweet. Yeah. It
2: does have a lot of warmth, though. You know? But
1: like you were saying, that also has to do with the type of maple that this is. Right. Very light and stiff.
2: It's very light. Uh, English sycamore is very akin to the German, in a, a northern Italian, southern Germany uh, maple <clears throat> in that it's very stiff, but it's but it's light. And then you cross the ocean, you get into the states, and the eastern seaboard has sugar maple, red maple, and they're dense, mm-hmm. and they're heavy, and they—they they don't sound good. That's yeah. why there's no—I like mean—and they're super curly. Right. So people go, "Oh, this will be Beautiful make a great looking, instrument." But it
3: doesn't have
1: much tonal. No.
2: <clears throat> doesn't sound good.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. If you don't mind, I would like to have a, a different we can try the all plain low G set
2: on this sure whatever any of these right.
3: We're oh, here this one experiment. has a less nice low end too so. Oh this sounds great man <laughs>
2: have front row seats
1: (laughs) what do you hear difference in this one
3: the low end is a little bit more pronounced the um the highs are still there but it's like rounded it's it's a more mellow kind of high and to me the mid-range is has almost kind of like pulled back a little bit hmm. yeah but it's a very um i like, hear a little bit more mid. i thought it was a mid-range at first but it's the low end listen to that
1: turn on the mics <laughs>
2: it has uh, to me it's more complex yeah it's it's it's, it's more... got more overtones yeah it sounds like a new set of strings as opposed to an old set of strings
3: yeah it's got like a very um and again, like what you were talking about, what is next. <laughs> this thing is just like so comfortable. This is like um the the sound that comes out of this thing though is it's complex. That's it's not really the only thing you could say, but it. it's a very complex sound. It's almost like the way the note hangs there, you know? It's 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 a different um that's I, I hear what you're saying about the fundamental, getting like the something that's coming
2: up behind it. It's crisper, and that yeah. crispness is is that overtone. Is that structure. picking that I, up? I, that, yeah, it is,
1: it, I I like the overtones. Dude, I that mean, for great, me, when man. the overtones creep up, that's not a.
2: Oh no, it's not a bad. Oh, that's, I love no. them. Yeah, this I sounds know. fantastic, man. Yeah, the main, oh, I misunderstood. Main I just traditionally. Saying. Its its reputation is its fundamental. Mm. You don't hear the overtone structure as much. No, this thing has has. <clears throat> <clears throat> That's a really unique. There's kind a bloom to too. each. That that real broken, so, uh, tight but broken curl. Like, I've heard it described as crushed velvet. Uh, yeah. Wow. But, but it's also very blonde. Why don't
1: you give a nice spin for the cameras? <laughs> it has a lot it's as complex as the tone in girl. yeah
3: totally and if you look at you look at it exactly it has that crushed velvet sort of look I hope our lighting is doing this thing justice man yeah because it's like phew, I love
2: that big soft umbrella light light dome <clears throat>
1: man i like how you bind the the side port too you know just little touches yep. like that to me it's like something you didn't have to do but it just ties it all together too it
2: also helps reinforce it's it's pretty but it helps reinforce it too because it's something that's obviously a hole has no strength so if he if it gets hit near the hole it's going to break yeah unless you have something
3: i love the right, shallow right, right. tuners that you use on this thing too. the in. shallow
2: grand tunes that's, yeah, a, that's these a, are a new fantastic product fantastic tuners
3: yeah, I so see more people
1: using those, and I love them. Yeah, they're well, like—I I think I would take it over Waverly.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat, and I've always been a Waverly guy, you know. And but these things just look so great, so smooth. They, they tune really easy. at the further up the neck is that like a design thing?
1: I think so. Volume what
3: makes it as it goes up? How do you how do you get it to? Okay, so I've I've played a lot of ukes and and the thing is as you shorten the string, the, of course the pitch gets higher, but it doesn't resonate as much, so the volume doesn't come out the same as when you're playing up here as when you're playing down here. But on every one of the ukes that you've brought tonight, as we go further up the neck. It doesn't lose volume; it's the same volume.
1: I've heard that on uh, other ones of your use, too, and and noticed it. I think you even yeah, it's it's told me that before about grinds. Yeah,
2: that's you might have told me that at the um, Bishop Museum, but that was one thing you noticed.
3: Well, I noticed Mm. that I first noticed that with um, with your arch tops, and I was like. That's unusual. And then mm. I thought it was an arch top thing until I started playing more arch tops. And then I was like, this is not an arch top thing. volume. Yeah, they lose volume the further up the neck you go. Most of them, even the greats, you know? But like his don't. They just get, like, it's the same volume. And you can adjust your attack. And so I I always thought that that was a grime thing. But how the hell do
2: you do that? Like, I, that's I don't know.
1: That's, that's the grime secret.
2: Yeah, it's just an unusual. If it's a secret, I haven't. I haven't told myself what it is yet. <laughs> but uh, um, I think the voicing of it is where you you uh, determine the balance between treble and bass. And if you take too much off of the braces or around the perimeter of the guitar, take the soundboard down thinner at the edges, <clears throat> you're gonna get more in the, it's gonna be more responsive in the bass. Yeah. And then, I don't know about it being less loud as you go higher, but what I have noticed, and this might translate in basically the same thing, is the high notes get an echoey character to yes. them. Yes, they're not pure and sweet. They have it's almost like a, the sound of um, a 15 inch speaker trying to playing a violin yeah. through a 15 inch speaker. No, you need a small Cold. tweeter yeah. to really replicate the sound of a violin and a bass guitar. You need a larger speaker. So it's trying to get a balance between treble and bass because you don't want an, an instrument that's all treble and you don't want certainly one that's all bass yeah because so. then
3: it's woofy or but you know what like your your instruments have I, I mean I think Kimohasi put it best the, they have a very good harmonic balance and that's kind of like when I when I look at a a really great instrument. Because like anything sounds good when you play it in a group with a bunch of people. Mm. But if you're sitting at home playing by yourself or you're doing a one-man show or something like that, you kind of want to have something that's going to make you want to play it. Make, it, it it's going to sing to you, when, you mm. when you're playing. And your instruments all have that kind of...
2: Interesting, you know, oh, uh, the, what I try to do is, I think I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> is I try to make the lightest instrument that will be strong. You definitely light. Like. Strong for the for the years. People pick up one of the first things people say when they pick up an archtop flat top guitar or ukulele of mine, they just go, whoa, it's so light. So I think that a lot of instruments out there are overbuilt. Yes. Yep. And they're heavy. Uh as a matter of fact, Kayla Beamer brought a guitar into my shop in I think probably 1988 and it was the double hole what I call the Beamer model I I named mine after him with his permission but um, he had a I'm not sure whether it was a Donald Marienthal or George Gilmore or there was a guy in Honolulu at the um, acoustic guitar workshop that Keola started I think it was Douglas Ching and um, one of those three guys (laughs) had made, I think it was Marienthal Douglas Marienthal Donald Marienthal uh, and it was heavy and when I looked inside I saw the braces were heavy and I asked Cale if he would do me the favor if I built a double hole guitar would he come back to my shop in a, a year's time or six months whatever and just give me some pointers tell me what he thought of the tone and uh he did and he brought a couple guitars with him and and he said uh would you part with this guitar? And I said, well, I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> and that was the first of our several guitars I've made for Keolum. But oh, cool. uh, he said, yeah. it's yeah. so of course. light. That's like the... It's so light. Well, that's the iconic Beamer yeah. guitar. Yeah, that's yeah what exactly.
1: Everywhere, yeah. So. I mean, I would think that would have made a lot of sales for you, but honestly, the, the locals were all playing like Takamini's and Washburns yeah. and stuff. But I you guess know, once you plug in, Okay. Barry's
2: guitar. The you built that, right? Flanagan? Yeah. I built three two two guitars for Barry. One was this oddball thing that uh he wanted to have uh, a different scroll on the peghead. He wanted to have basically a cello mm. scroll, just like a cello on the and a double hole guitar, uh, soundboard, um, and we called it the hoppa. And that was the first one that I made. I made for Barry Flanagan.
1: He wanted it to match the curls in his hair. No.
0: (laughs)
2: Maybe, maybe. I think he wanted it just because it was an attention grabber. You know, to make people go, "What the hell is he playing? What is that thing?" Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, he grabbed our attention once he started playing. Either way. All he had
2: to do was start playing. The guy's such an amazing player. Amazing player.
3: One of my one of my favorite, um, like what what started getting me back into playing Hawaiian music was my grandma used to always play the music in the car and she had the the first Hapa CD and like I liked Le Pikake, and the way they did Kuule Ava Puhi and I was like okay mm. so I stole my grandma's CD and it mm-hmm. kind of became the thing I'm on that CD Changing. you are playing fiddle oh that's so I'd, cool <laughs> oh okay so if the you listen um, really
2: close Kaulu <laughs> the fiddle yes. part yes I know, yeah. Where the banjo comes in, the fiddle comes in, all that. That's you, huh? Hey, I never knew that.
3: Now I I
2: know.
1: I mean, everybody had that record on play. Everybody. Yeah.
3: Oh, it was just... uh, That got me back into playing local music, you know? I mean, I had stopped for a long time. I was, you know, trying to be a metalhead and stuff, believe it or not.
1: You still are. Like, in in your heart, you're like half heavy metal, half sweet Hawaiian. (laughs)
2: But. So you still have somebody working? Somebody's still working here at this. Oh yeah,
1: man. We just have people working twenty four hours. Yeah, we can't <laughs> stop. People are waiting on their. can stop. User. Don't
3: stop. Can't stop.
1: Billy and Joel are just. We just change out the batteries
2: and. <laughs> oh, they're robots. Well, Joel doesn't I need
3: see. batteries. He's on that. He's on lithium, so like he's like rechargeable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been going since six thirty, but I wouldn't call this work. <laughs> So I let's work hear this anymore. beauty, man. This thing is one of the most gorgeous pieces of art ever.
3: First off, this core. <laughs> what the
2: hell, man? Look at that.
1: The alpha and omega.
2: I had to look at that core for twenty years because it yeah, wasn't yeah. mine, and I could I couldn't tear into it because yeah. I thought, am I going to have cool to make story paddles it out too. of this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I I'm, mean, like, man. You build such amazing instruments. You should have taken all four blocks. And just <laughs> sh-
2: the other three, you know what I told you, they're going for paddles. They're going to make paddles out of them. Well, you know, it's not to say paddles aren't important. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, I don't know. Oh.
1: Yeah. I, I've seen some pretty gorgeous paddles.
3: Oh, yeah, totally. Dude, this thing is doing it too. See? Same volume, it's crazy.
2: Slightly different tone. Yeah. Definitely different. Different tone, and it's such I mean, I build these things, I'm too close to them, and now I get to sit and listen to a great player from a distance. <laughs> if you want to put
1: it on your headphones there, you can uh, hear Yearly, what the yeah. mics are picking up. They're right to your left on the chair. But yeah. I think the overtones and would really come out a lot more with, um, like, a, a fluorocarbon set, mm-hmm. like, especially the right one really? on those. I mean, these are just nylon GHS, and, you know, it's not nearly the brilliance and yeah. sustain I think you can get out of it, but, I mean, still, it sounds awesome, so, I mean, <laughs> no up. complaints. Well, they yeah. could sound better. I think they they could sound even better. Like, you would get more of those, like, I don't know, I was... I think
2: that's Joel's what we were. Are, yeah, <laughs> that's what we were doing. We were, we were playing some funky stop too.
3: So I just, I just hit the big four o. So sometime before I hit the big 5 i o, I'm gonna have to have my wife give me permission. Maybe I can like try to steal my balls out of her purse for like. Five minutes or something, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to get I'm gonna have to get a Grimes man. Like I'm,
1: I've been. That's, that's what we have I said.
2: To do. before. I said before I leave this earth. Huh?
1: This is this is one where I'm like yeah we're definitely gonna get this one. I love this sound.
2: Okay. Let's let's hear this one. Okay. So maybe two minutes. But yeah yeah let's. Uh, so you said Andrew, you said uh, a s- flat wound G. This one has this a, a, a wound. smooth wound smooth. Um,
1: for the uh, uh, G, and then it has a flat wound for the C. So, you both smooth feel, uh-huh. but still with that wound sustain. The
2: power of wound. The power, of, the power of
1: wound, but a little bit more balanced in. And then these two fluorocarbons, I think you're going to hear
2: just a lot more
1: complex overtones, sustain. To me,
3: it just brings a lot more life. I can hear it right now. Pipe. I can hear it as I'm tuning it. Yeah. How's
2: that? Put on your headphones and listen to this. Yeah. Really? Yeah. This camera shut off. it What I'm hearing is. I'm hearing uh, the, di- the similarity in tone. All the way across the four strings, rather oh, than yeah. two strings sound one way and two strings sound another way, yeah, and the that's balance. what it is. It's balanced. It's it, it's more. It's not balanced so much as it is the color is the same. The, color, the tonality of the string yeah. is the same, rather than a different timbre. Interesting. Wow. What's his name uh, downstairs? Joel. Joel. You should come on. I'd like to meet him. Yeah, I mean, he's... I'll meet him on the way out
1: or whatever. He's, he's part of the podcast a lot of times, and, you know, um, he's, he's great. He's very knowledgeable, but he's worked with us for about 10 years now that he's been doing nothing but working on ukes, and he's tried every string imaginable and so about, you know, a little bit less than a year ago, he set out and tried, he got all of these different materials, nylon and fluorocarbon and the mm. different wounds and the smooth wounds and the flat wounds. And he's just been yeah. collecting them from different suppliers and piecing them together. And he found the, the fluorocarbons that he found are much different. And I mean, fluorocarbons to me can kind of like be a bit on the bright side too much or, mm-hmm. um... Lacking a little bit of the warmth, but these have a almost darker overtone that I love. But insanely good sustain and character.
2: Something like that. I'm gonna stretch out for a while. I haven't been uh, uh, wanting, wanting to have oh, the, the so <laughs> metal wound strings, but they do have the power, and that's the reason I I sacrifice the that uh, that uniformity of tone. To have the power in the C and the G. And this seems to have the power. Oh, yeah, totally. and, and, nice, yeah, and a tone that goes all the way across.
3: I can feel it already with just that there. Uh-huh. lets just hang longer hmm? you yeah, know just like sustains oh. more
2: strings are definitely brighter, but the low strings have um, uh, more complexity. And from here, it sounds like they have as much power.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> well, these are um, round wound, but they're still wound strings on the the C and the D or C mm-hmm. and the G and then smooth wound on
1: the yeah. g which is, it's a different way the c i mean when it's a flat wound string there's a different construction to uh-huh. the way that's done but I, I really like the um the flat wound for the c you know that piece you were playing you said todd wrote that yeah todd adamski man that guy ah, genius inspirator <laughs> for me and eric wow the, the last
2: one, you one, one you've
3: been
1: playing. You yeah, said. for
3: for all the sound samples, yeah. Oh, he um nice. he it's actually he wrote he, it on guitar, <laughs> put it on ukulele for uh Kapili Kapili Kala's um it's called Kalihua Emilia. He did it like his own version which is much slower and more um the, the hula dancers in Japan really love it. So mm-hmm. um if you, if you guys get a chance, check out Kalihua Emilia from Kapili Lakala on um YouTube. So that. You can hear Todd playing the guitar mm-hmm. part in the back. Well, it's a ukulele part, played on the guitar. He capoed <laughs> his fifth mm-hmm. friend. So,
1: yeah, he, wow. he was our store manager for five years. Yeah. And he passed away a few years ago. But like he was like kind of amazing on a lot of instruments. Mm-hmm. Bass, he was like just the best <sighs> bass player on a lot of albums, too. But And helped a lot of songwriters kind of hone in on stuff. It was, it was great working with him. But that's a really interesting piece you know
3: yeah it's something that like i mean it's it's based off of a
1: right but it gets so complex that yeah
3: that's all it is but todd has you know Stuff. so i mean it's a bitch to figure out man <laughs> <laughs> todd is still kicking my butt from from the grave you know? it's like... wow. my favorite string set that, that joe has i still
1: no I, I i like the um smooth wound and um even the flat wound for the third but if you want an all plain set it just has a better balance than well any i would like others.
2: to try
3: this is i would like to try you would
1: probably still like that first set that we were
3: I don't know, man. This thing is pretty killer. Like, listen to this thing.
2: It's yeah. nice. It doesn't have the uh, edgy, edgy sound that the wound, mm. wound G has uh, with the metal. Yeah. Like the. GHS. it actually matches nice though because
1: this maple just had a really so sweet, solid. you know, yeah. subtle tone.
2: Oh man, I'm liking that. And every string sounds the same. Yeah, it's all the same color wise.
1: A set you're gonna get from yeah,
3: this is the set that yeah. I'm having him put on, so and I'm I'm picking up a couple extra sets from him too. Yeah,
1: uh, Joel, I think he wanted to give you a set to Steve oh, to, try to try. And, yeah, yeah, I'll just give you a I, set. I'm and, happy
2: to pay him for a couple.
1: Of I mean, you guys can work it out. It's his yeah. thing, but yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where he's just trying to get it out there, get feedback, and yeah. Got, but I,
2: I'm well, so. While gritty. you were downstairs, I said. I mean, I, I haven't played it yet and heard it close range. Right, right, right. But from over here, which I never get to do, and, and hearing Aaron play, it sounds to me better than the GHS. So oh, if it's no. better, uh, I would get, I would want to recommend them to customers and. Um, Unless they're telling me I want to do a dairy or on or whatever. Oh yeah,
1: and it comes to strings everybody's gonna have everybody's gonna have their you know, so it's like you we'll know, change it out, but yeah. Right. If you're looking for But a if stock they say what would you put on and if sucks. I like this
2: yeah, set yeah, I yeah, would yeah, yeah. love to be able to say, Well, you logic new something new. Yeah. There's a new pickup that I wanna uh, I'm working with a luthier named Paul McGill. It's a, called um, the pickup system. Ben Shaw and Paul McGill have invented this pickup system that has a little preamp board that's mounted to the input jack inside, it's very lightweight, and there's a control board that's a one inch by one inch that goes on the edge of the sound hole. And it has a volume pot, a little tiny trim pot on the circuit board for each string. Oh Wow. So if you get a pickup under saddle pickup which they're famous for of having one string that's just not quite loud enough you don't have to take the saddle out and put a little drop of super glue and wait for it to dry and yeah, sand it and put it to try to bring up the volume but of that string but is it
1: in the saddle like individual pole pieces or is it in There's the...
2: four uh, four black uh, the pickups are manufactured by Grass No but Tech. Is, does it
1: go under the saddle or is it the saddle my question no, uh it is the saddle okay okay and yeah, each, I, I there's think four
2: I saddles
0: and
1: yeah, each like saddle has a does wire a s- something like that and right. so to, but to be able to control each string yes. like that yeah
2: and it's it's ridiculously anti-feedback oh and those so sound they great just i talked ben shaw into doing one for ukulele because all they've had so far was uh guitar and i said i'm doing this workshop with tommy uh four-day workshop on maui at the end of the year with tommy emmanuel Ooh. jake Shimabukuro, wow jeff peterson hope um frank vignola nice some that's jazz some guys right there, man. dude i want to go what is, what's the date on this that's ridiculous january 28th 9th 30th and 31st where at the royal lahaina hotel Jeez. in it's maui in maui
1: whoa i it's dude. pricey i don't know with to tommy
2: Jake, i mean the whole gang jay uh, P- uh and then um who's the oh brent mason do you know who that is yep brent mason brent mason's part of the, part of the staff man. too so dude. i'm i'm just i'm i'm a student i'm just gonna go over and do this workshop thing for four days it's twenty two hundred dollars oh. for the four days I've but seen, I I saw Absolutely. Um, hang out and get Facebook. lessons from Tommy Amanda. I know. One on one. Are you kidding me?
1: That's and pretty show cool. My instruments. There you go.
2: <laughs> Just
1: a little <laughs> bit. Write of it off thing. as a business venture. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Of course. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> not not lying. But I told Ben Shaw and, and Paul McGill, I said, can you get one? Uh, an ukulele version of this pickup before the end of the year, they got it already. So he went right to work on it. Oh, you got to
1: let me know if you will, and, uh, because we're constantly you know, trying pickups and offering different pickups for our, um, you know, with our setup team. I have
2: one of my gigging guitar, and I've never heard a sweeter sounding undersaddle pickup. It doesn't have that piezo sound. Yeah, it's a sweet. I know. What, I know what you're so talking because
1: um, I've had I had Blackbird put in some, and there's an, it's an it's RMC style pickup with the individual mm-hmm. pole pieces f- for the saddle, but um you get less the string goes noise. Really well with this and yeah. if it's yeah. got the right yeah. preamp, yeah. it's it can be like um there's the RMC preamp that I have that if you if you plug the, that style pickup into that and then it gives you all of the EQ controls and everything. But yeah and you get the best sound from an Ukulele.
2: Yeah, I've used a bunch of Richards pickups before and I like the RMC pickups. And they've worked closely with Richards, their former, oh, okay. former I see. collaborators. They're but a they take parted, off of that. They parted in <clears throat> in the way they do out of phase, one string out of phase from the next so that feedback doesn't get a chance to start going. Oh nice. And uh, and then there's uh instead of a tone knob on the edge of the fingerboard, there's a three switch, tiny little three switch attenuator that you can have the high on. And the bass on, and the middle up, which you can't do with a tone knob, but it gives you more. You can have all down, three band, and all yeah, three band. But it's a, it's not attenuation. It's he explained it. I can't repeat it, but. It's just anyway, cutting or <clears> boosting <throat> the from a frequency. One yeah. Is unbelievable. So I'm really. I said I'm gonna be hanging with Jake Shimabukuro for four days. There you go. And so I would love to get one of these installed in a ukulele, so I can say at Soundcheck. Because they got they're gonna doing a concert at the Mac. So at Soundcheck, I would like to say, Jake. Plug this in here through the house system. Tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, so. that'd be great. I, I mean, he, he already that. has a uke from you right or one or two yeah
2: he's got one and um who did he lend it to who's that uh somebody told me that somebody was recording with it real he's a songwriter soft soft songwriter Uh, what's his name ron artis yes yeah so that's ron
1: ron's coming up man that guy has got he is so soulful
2: yeah he's a good songwriter yeah he's got that buttery voice great singer and yeah. a hell
3: of a guitar player. He's got some yeah. good
1: messages, too. Yeah.
3: And, you know, like,
1: yeah, just as far as songwriting, like, it's just in his blood, man. It's I, amazing I saw how you doing... ne-
2: just went, pull pulled his name out well, of the Well, uh... yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> well, runs a friends so. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I love that wife. guy.
2: Well, I hope I'm not. You guys got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we feel, got, we I should feel like i we you know, good. Do we have enough? <laughs> we do,
1: but let's get a sound sample uh, okay. without talking
3: over it a bit. <laughs> okay. no. Let's try that again. <laughs>
1: and Aaron for many <laughs> many hours but um, I appreciate the time that you came and spent and I really appreciate the level of uh, building that you bring to the ukulele and you've been doing it since 76 and before custom ukuleles was a thing you were making custom ukuleles and these are just top tier
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew, and and I, I can't thank you guys enough for this opportunity. For me, you don't know how much of an opportunity it is for me. I've heard great players play my ukuleles before, but I've never heard them in this kind of a setting where I could hear one, hear another, hear one that I heard earlier with a different set of strings. It's interesting in right? the hands right. of a, of a really good player. So. That was a real opportunity for me, so I appreciate that.
3: Well, I can say with
2: emphatically, uh, anytime, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anytime. I'll be back next week. There
3: you go. <laughs> bring them all. I'll play them all. <laughs> I love these things, man. I'll
2: bring an archtop guitar for you next, there next you week. There you go. Ooh. I would love um, to play uh, one of those. You. <laughs> Legend. Can I get a photo of you three?
3: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you yes. next week. Aloha. Yeah. yeah.
0: Why don't you right there. Okay.